My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Zoe Chance, Yale lecturer and author of the international bestseller, Influence is Your Superpower, studies persuasion, decision-making, and how people can lead happier, healthier, more fulfilling lives. At Yale, Zoe teaches one of Yale's most popular classes, Mastering Influence and Persuasion. She also collaborates with Google and Optum Health. Prior to her engagement at Yale, Zoe marketed a $200 million segment of the Barbie brand at Mattel and developed an executive education leadership program at Harvard. Her research has been covered in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, Scientific American, Psychology Today, Financial Times, and Discover. Zoe received her doctorate from Harvard, MBA from the University of Southern California, and bachelor's degree from Haverford College. I hope you enjoy learning from Zoe Chance today, because I certainly did. Well, Zoe, it's so great to connect today. Uh, you were recommended to me by Todd Rogers, and the, and the more I learned about your work, the more I just thought it would be fantastic to have you on. So I'm grateful that you'd share a few minutes with me today. It's an honor, and uh, Todd is amazing. I saw you had him on a couple of times. Very cool. He is the only repeat guest to this point, um, which may be surprising because his uh, much of his work is all about being concise and short um, <laughs> to get people to listen to what you or, or read what you write. Uh, but Zoe, as you think about the things you've learned about influence. What would you most want to pass on to others? You know, I mostly spend time teaching people how to be more influential. And I've also started doing a lot of executive education. And the topic that has me feeling really passionate these days is a related topic about other people's influence on us and specifically on what I call the asking gap that asking is unevenly distributed according to dimensions of privilege and power in the way that you would expect if you thought about it, but most of us haven't thought about it. And the magnitude is a lot bigger than we realize. So I'd love to share about that. Yeah, definitely. I would love to hear more about this asking gap and some concrete examples of that. Yeah, sure. Um, I feel I can personally relate to this because when I grew up, my mom was poor, single mom, and we she moved us to this area with really great schools. And that also meant high property taxes and other kids' families were pretty wealthy with yachts and swimming pools, going on safaris. We had a one-bedroom apartment. My sister and I shared the bedroom. Mom slept on the couch. And wow. I was very conscious of having a lot less privilege than other kids had in my sphere. And I was very quiet and I felt like I didn't fit in and I was sort of on the periphery of kids. And um, it was just a struggle of personal development to figure out that I, like everyone, has a voice and to challenge myself to start speaking and start asking. And big breakthrough was becoming an actor and working in sales to challenge myself to do what was really scary. So I, I still struggle with asking like many people do, but it, it took until really the past couple of years and, um, investigating more, reading more, teaching more to start realizing that when we just 
observe status quo in the world, a lot of the privilege is a result of asking. Privilege is at least partially negotiated. It's definitely negotiable. And when we as kind people, like just listeners can hear from the way that you have the conversations on your show, you're very kind and generous and open-minded and interested in other people. Me too. And people like you and me tend to be passively generous, where we'll try to help people who ask for help, or they'll ask for time or advice or resources or whatever. And because we're nice, we do that. But then we end up perpetuating the asking gap because we are helping out people who already have more privilege and not realizing that there are all of these people who weren't comfortable asking. And so they didn't. And so they didn't get. And what I'll share is a study that's one of my favorite studies on this topic. And it's done by a sociologist named Jessica Calarco. And she was in a middle school and she was observing students in middle school classes where these kids, she had information on their parents' socioeconomic status, their middle-class kids and working kids from working class families. And then she's measuring who's asking for help or extra time or flexibility or leniency to get out of a punishment. And she's also marking down who do the teachers say yes to. And then she interviews the parents. So what she finds, let's just like, if you would guess, so you already know that kids from the middle-class families are more likely to ask than kids from the working-class families. What do you think the difference would be like what percent more if you just had to guess? So if I just thought like what percent of kids from high socioeconomic status would be like willing to ask for help, maybe like three quarters and from lower SES, maybe like uh, a quarter to a third. So you would guess that um, that the kids who have more privilege might be what I heard is three times more likely yeah. to ask, yeah. which is really a lot. And it's more than twice that much. So she actually found kids who had more privilege were seven times wow. as likely to ask for more. What she found was the teachers weren't biased at all. They just tried to say yes to everybody who asked. And I feel like people like nice people like you and me and all of the kind and helpful managers everywhere in the world are like these teachers. And that's why I love the study. Everybody's well-intentioned. Kids are just doing their kid thing. Teachers are being really nice. And then the parents were doing the best they could to help their kids. The parents from the middle-class families were teaching their kids that privilege is negotiable and life is negotiable. And the parents from the working class families were teaching their kids to be self-reliant. They were teaching them that you might have to work two or three times harder as some other kid in order to get what they have. And you have to be ready to work. You have to work hard. And these parents are well-intentioned trying to help their kids. So it's this really, really terrible, sad, tragic system of inequality that transpires from all of these well-intentioned people. So this is why I think the asking gap is so important. And we need to, when somebody comes and asks us for, say, help or a privilege, who is not asking? And then also, is there a policy 
that should change. So this is at work, at school, in life. That's my soapbox, man. No, I think that's great because uh, there's this phenomena that exists in the world and it's known as the rich get richer, right? Yeah. One, the theory of accumulative advantage, one small advantage can lead to another advantage, which leads to another advantage. And that perpetuates inequality. And it's just so sad that something as simple as asking is just not common practice for those who may especially be in need of it. Uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, I, was, I was in a seminar once with a, a professor from Duke, and he has a policy, personal policy, that if anybody ever asks him for help with admissions, uh, you know, reading an essay or help, he says no, because he knows that the people who are most likely to ask him are the people who are already in his kind of sphere of influence, who already have lots of advantages. And he feels that by helping those people who already have lots of advantages, he's also hurting those people who don't have those advantages. So I think that's an interesting policy wow. that I've thought about a lot that maybe uh, more of us should really consider and think hard about. Yeah. And that's a fascinating response to the asking gap. Like, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to say no, because you you already have privilege and there's a limited number of admission spots Exactly. that can go to people. So how do you think about helping people who don't ask? Policies. So, for example, uh, I had a participant in a workshop with me recently who said that she had just experienced a problem like this. So she's a nice, kind manager like the teachers in the study. And the most recent employee of hers who had gone out on parental leave came back saying, oh my God, the baby's not sleeping through the night. Could I, would it be okay if just for my first month back, I worked remotely and manager being really nice was like, okay, totally. We can make that happen for you. No problem. But then the two people who had most recently before that gone out on parental leave said, hey, what, why didn't you give us that opportunity? It hadn't occurred to them to ask. And so now this manager is going back to her her team and her organization and saying, hey, look, if this is fair for this one person and we can make it happen, is should there be a policy where we let other people have that same benefit? That's an example. Yeah, great example. So I would, I have been thinking about this in my classroom a little bit. And I, I don't know if you've experienced this uh, with your students, but the ones who are just willing to ask for a little help here or there, I feel like I'm able to just really guide them on how to be efficient with their time and, um, you know, what material they should really focus on, for example, on, on prepping for an exam. And I will, I will go to the study guide, which is public information, but just by providing them a little extra context, they get a lot of extra help. And I was thinking, uh, I wonder, and I don't even know if this is feasible, but like, should I, force all of my students to, you know, meet with me in office hours once during the semester. So I had a professor that did that. I had one professor in my whole academic career where as part of the class, we had to meet with him one time, one-on-one -on -one, and just chat. And so I've kind of been thinking like, should I adopt that policy to, I wasn't thinking of it quite in these terms, but I, I really like this framework should I adopt this policy to help those people who could benefit from a one-on-one -on -one meeting, but are just not 
the in the state of mind to ask for the help. That would be a lot of work. Exactly. For you. <laughs> so I would not counsel anybody to do that. But there's so many policies that we as teachers can have to make things fairer for people. Here's one that takes zero work, for example. Um, I don't know if you allow students to get extensions if they ask for it. Um, I try I try not to because it's just I try to have everything in the syllabus laid out. Okay, so I have everything in the syllabus laid out as well, including my policy on extensions, which is that if you want an extension, you email a Gmail address that is our class extensions at gmail.com and you get an instant reply that says you have a two day extension. Interesting. And so it doesn't involve any human being. It's fair. Everybody gets an extension without like you have to send the email, but you don't have to worry about how you ask. You don't have to have the social judgment of another person. You don't have to have any reason. And you just ask for an extension. And what's interesting about that is you're teaching people to at least ask a little bit, ask this like email address, right? Uh, so maybe you're, you're helping those people who are willing to ask, but I love the idea of having a very clear policy about extensions. Uh, and I, this does make me think also about, for example, excused absences. You know, I yeah. think, I think, and I have no way of knowing this because I don't have the date on who doesn't ask, but I think probably in every semester, some people will miss class for one reason or another, and they just won't ask if it's an excused. Even though I have a policy for, you know, what can or can't be excused, I'm guessing there are some people who just miss class because of some random crazy event, and they don't ask for an extension or, sorry, don't ask for an excused absence. Others ask and like, yeah, they'll get it because it's part of the policy. But some people, I, I'm almost certain, are just taking a hit because they're not willing to ask for something that was already available to them if they were, would just ask. This is true. And and I'm sure that, and I have a similar excused absence policy, although I, I try to have it be as hands-off as possible. And I don't excuse any absences. And it's just... If you get an excused absence by the department that does that, then um, then we'll accept it. But um, I I also find that I need to keep reminding people. So when excused absence requests and when extension requests start coming through, I remind people. I also remind people about accommodations policies for disabilities, and I lay out very clearly that this is a normal thing. A lot of people have accommodations at this university, and here's how to get it. Um, yeah, there's, I, I did a fellowship for, um, inclusive teaching. That was a year long thing that they did at Yale. That was so, so helpful. And ultimately what it led me to is just questioning every unnecessary piece of effort that I ask students to do and just being very discerning about what does it really have to take to succeed in the class? What does it really have to take to do acceptable work and what does it really have to take to do the most? Um, and how can I expand my ideas about um, fairness? Also what I did this year for the first time, by the way, was when I had a TA who got overwhelmed and they, they weren't able to 
get on top of all the work they needed to do. I have four TAs at a time. And in the past, I might have allowed or asked one of the other TAs to cover when this person got overwhelmed. I gave all TAs a week off. And so I took over their job because I was able to in that week. And I I look, I didn't say what can this, what benefit or flexibility can this one person get? But I have four TAs. I don't want to punish the ones who are managing to stay on top of their work. So just from now on, I don't want to be somebody who punishes high performers by making them take on the work of people who are not able to be getting done all the stuff they need to get done. Yeah, interesting. Thinking just a couple more steps about kind of the second and third order consequences of the decisions we make. Well, this has been a, a powerful uh, discussion for me. Some of the research I do is on frames. And, and so um, we'll ask people to uh, adopt a business frame, you know, make a business decision, or we'll encourage them to adopt an ethics frame. You know, think about this from an ethical perspective. And what we find is that people will make different decisions depending on which frame they're in. And the sad thing about that, of course, is that the business frame and the ethics frame are not mutually exclusive. Uh, ideally, we should always be making uh, you know ethical business decisions. But when you adopt a particular frame, it's it's like this lens that you view the world through, and and it impacts the way we make decisions. And I feel like you've given me another frame today that I can adopt of thinking about this asking gap. And if I view, you know, this is powerful to me because it, it gives me the chance now to view my decisions and the outcomes of those decisions through this lens of, am I disadvantaging those people who just aren't willing to ask? And, you know, it's like, we all want to be nice and helpful, sure. But I think there's probably a part of most of us that especially wants to help those people who are disadvantaged and who need the help more than others. So this has just been such a wonderful chance for me to chat with you today, Zoe. Thank you. I love chatting with you. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. What a great lesson Zoe shared today about the asking gap. Those who had advantages were seven times more likely to ask for help than those who didn't. But if we help only those who ask and don't seek out and support those who don't ask for help, we will further perpetuate inequality. By developing policies with an eye towards helping those who are less likely to ask for help, we can help level the playing field and help those who are most in need. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with a couple requests. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review on your podcast player. Lastly, if you're like me and want to remember all of the lessons shared in previous episodes, visit the list of lessons page on my website, natemickle.com, to see all of the lessons that each previous guest has shared. Thanks for your support.